Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our weekend review. Joined by football editor Mark Douglas and special guest Chris Woff of The Athletic. Chris, um, thank you for joining us. No problem. We, we, we did hope you'd be coming in on a more positive note, but obviously... After Saturday's game, it was quite the uh, the dire 90 minutes for Newcastle United. It was quite the dire 90 minutes for anyone who witnessed or listened to any of that game. It was, as I've just said, as I came in the office there, I was speaking to Mark off air and just saying it was. it's a match where you know it's going to be bad, yet you're still surprised by how bad it actually is once once you witness it. And I mean that from a football uh, perspective. Just before kickoff, the heavens opened, went black, hail everywhere, same at half time. And then the game itself was just, it was, I mean, it was a lot of long ball football from both teams. Uh, two sides who ha- don't enjoy much possession. Newcastle, for the first time this season, had more than the opposition, albeit only 52%. But it was just a turgid afternoon, and, I, and it was really, really difficult to, to know what to make of it because it, that's how Burnley play as well. And Newcastle haven't been playing great in recent weeks and have won matches and they've had injuries. So it's difficult to analyse too much other than to say it's a match that I will definitely not be watching back. I guess one thing that we can say from Mark is that Newcastle miss two or probably three players in in Shelby, Almiron and most certainly Alan St. Maximan. Yeah, well, I mean, they've not won a game yet without St. Maximan involved. Obviously, I think it's a bit of a cheat, that stat, because the Tottenham game, he went off after a few minutes. So obviously they did win that game uh, without him. But, you know, they, they, they really struggle to replicate um, the, the, what he gives them, which is the pace on the counter-attack. And I think because he's so quick, because he's so um, because he travels with the ball so much, teams are, are, are wary of setting up too, uh, too deep, to, are wary of setting up too, too advanced to really to play against Newcastle. You saw against West Ham. I think they, they paid a really heavy price for doing that and got caught in behind. But I think Burnley would have known without Almiron and without St. Maximum, there's not a lot of pace in that team. Atsu, who I was hopeful would would kind of replicate his impact coming off the bench because he's been quite good, was anonymous really. I think from from the bits from the bits that I saw, um, and they were you know Newcastle are a much reduced team. I think Jolinton, you know, qualified success on the left, but you know they paid forty million pounds for him, and really, you know they've got other players in there who, who could do who could do that job. They didn't need a left. They didn't need a, a left forward basically they needed a striker they needed a number nine and now they're, they're relying on Andy Carroll so I think you know it was always going to be a problem with those three players missing but now the challenge I think for the next few games is to make sure that it doesn't become a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that they're without these players or they're without some maximum in particular it's going to be difficult and they get on a bit of a run because 
Manchester United playing pretty well. They've got them on Boxing Day. So I think Saturday now for me is looking and then Leicester obviously on, uh, you know, after that and Everton in, in the week you've found a bit of form as well. So suddenly from a position where you're looking at two wins on the bounce and, a, and a winnable games, you think Saturday, they need to get something out of Saturday really because things could start to kind of go in the in the wrong direction. I mentioned Julian there. There was a brief moment of brilliance might be too strong of a word. It did come from the right-hand side. It was a cross for uh, Dwight Gale who came on and Dwight Gale in the championship last season, West Brom, he would have, he would have scored that with his eyes closed. Yeah, I mean, this, it was interesting. I was speaking to a couple of people after the game and they were of the opinion that if he had actually scored, then VAR may have ruled it out yeah, anyway because that's... of Joe Linton out wide. I thought it was probably a fair challenge, but at the same time, I can see why it would have been pulled off. That probably was Joe Linton's best moment. And it was interesting because he was played out on the left, but he was sort of given license to, to go where he wanted. So he did try and get beyond Carroll early on. First 15 minutes, I actually thought Newcastle's game plan worked all right. Four balls up to Carroll within the first uh, 15 minutes. He won all of them. But then he only had eight touches in the entire first half altogether, Carroll. That supply line stopped. Um, Joe Linton was anonymous for, for the second half of the first half and then there was a couple of, of, of moments during the second half I mean what I found a little bit baffling and I understand the lack of resources but I did find it a little bit baffling having four forwards on at the end of the game two of them out wide and in a four-four-two. so it wasn't even as if they were wide forwards it was Joe Linton playing as a left winger Yoshinori Muto playing as a right winger didn't really work. Muto's had so little football, and I'm not saying he's done enough to, to prove that he should do more, but I felt a little bit sorry for him getting brought on in a position which clearly isn't his position and being expected to do something. And then you had Carolyn Gale up front, but apart from that Joe Linton cross, neither of them got any service towards the end of the game. It, it, that's Steve Bruce, isn't it? It's, it's a weird one, really, because we were kind of reflecting the week before about all these substitutions came off. They were really good. He's so different. I mean, he's so different from Rafa Benitez. I know the game plan is roughly the same but he is so different he is a bit like he will just throw four forwards on and think let's see what happens whereas with Benitez it was very measured uh, you know his substitutions were a lot of something that a lot of people criticized him for but there was a very much trust the process if we set up this way there was a reason we set up this way we identified problems we're, we're going to try and we're going to try and see the game out Bruce just he is that you know there is that that element of him tactically where he will set up and he knows what he's doing tactically and he's got them there but at the end it was just let's take a gamble and go for it now people are fine with that when it comes off but you saw on the first game of the season when it didn't and it cost them obviously it didn't cost them on on Saturday but having said that they're going to need a better plan B without Alan St Maximum than they've than they've got at the moment um, and I think Saturday for me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm not optimistic about Newcastle United this season, full stop, because of how things are. But I'm, you know, I'm looking at that game and thinking they really need to work hard this week to come up with an alternative to Allison Maxman. They need to find a different way of playing because it's worked so far. But they're so reliant on St. Maximum and and what he brings. Um, that really, without him, you saw that four up front. You know, they're bringing Mutu's. You know, I feel sorry for him because he's not being utilised properly and putting him there is not, not going to work either. And four up front, Dwight Gale, I feel sorry for as well because, you know, he's got to be frustrated because he played all that football last season and he's seen it in, in scraps this bit. And, and I know they keep saying we don't want to sell him, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that if somebody comes in with a bid in January, which I think for all parties would be the best solution, Newcastle could then spend the money 
Well, I think that's it. Bring as long as they in. use that, that's the problem that they've got. It's, it's, and I can, I think, I agree. I think it would be the best solution for all parties as long as it's Newcastle get fifteen million or whatever it is for Gale and then reinvest it in another forward because clearly they need I don't another think they forward. They will either. Well, I, that, and that's the I issue. They think... can't, they can't sell them and not, but yeah. because they haven't got the debt, they're, they're already struggling for depth in terms of people you'd say. But, Between them, all the forwards, if you want to call them that, all seven of them have scored two goals all season. They are lacking goals they need to bring someone who's going to so that's that that's that they're almost damned if they do damned if they don't with gales so that's why they need to bring someone in but every I time so i just don't think they will gamble like that in january from the noises yeah. that lee charnley made um last week i i think that they'll they'll be quite conservative in january in that they'll go for somebody if there's something works but a big a big thing like selling gale which i think they would they would do but I'm not convinced that they would necessarily have somebody ready to go straight away because they know that you don't get any value on strikers. I, th- I think I read something at the 2021 club said that you pay a 30, 38%, 37% premium. I can't remember the exact figure. They were saying a 37% premium on players in January. Um, now, I think they're sitting there and they will gamble a little bit in January and think, you know, we can probably get away with this. I don't think they should. No. Because that, that's, that's you can see how things could go. You could they're in a decent position at the moment, but you could see how things could slowly they could get dragged back in there. They've got a really nice buffer at the moment, but let's just let's keep that buffer and keep the season rolling. Is the Dwight Gale scenario the first kind of insight into how that relationship will work between the hierarchy and Steve Bruce when it comes to transfers? Because Steve Bruce, every time he's asked about it, I don't want to sell him. I'm really looking forward to seeing him get his chance. But come January, like you say, if West Brom come back with a £15 million bid, is that the first kind of test between the but, but he relationship? Sa- he says that, yeah. but they were two days away from... They were they were 48 hours before the deadline. They had agreed a deal with West Brom that was um, about... Uh, it was a, a sizable loan fee that would be made permanent at the end of the season if West Brom went up. That was agreed between the two clubs... They were both happy with the price that's set at the end of the season, which I think was something around £15 million, or maybe a little bit less. And it was Dwight Gale who said, no, I don't want to do this. Because because Dwight Gale, and fair play to him, sat there and said, I want certainty over my future. And I want to be... I want to... Um, he knows that his contract is coming up. That he's got 18 months left on his contract. He knows that he's got massive amounts of power going into the final 12 months of his contract. And he will sit there as well. He's a part of the... the the puzzle as well because he'll sit there and say well okay Newcastle aren't playing me I do probably do want to go and get first team football but I don't have to leave and I know that in 12 months time they'll have to take less money and there'll be more options for me I think there's I think there is a bit of cadology from Bruce as well but it, it it's his man management style and I'm not having to go there I think it's right you can't if he comes out and says yeah Gale's not part of my plans then if he's to say, oh yeah, we're going to sell him in January, then Dwight Gill may, may think, well, what, what motivation have I got to? You, you're only using me as a bit part player anyway. I think that there, I think Bruce ideally would like to try and get Gale into the team somewhere, but he knows that Newcastle just aren't. So you'd have to change the setup completely. I mean, you saw that even when he came on at the weekend. He, he, with the current formation they're playing and, and how deep they are, the way that, that, that they get the ball forward very quickly, but not in terms of in and behind defences, I just don't see where Gale fits in. And I think Bruce recognises that. He recognises that January's pro- and, or next summer is the only time you're going to get decent value for him. And so he is, he's thinking rather than the short term, rip all this up and start again with Gale, safe in the knowledge he may leave at some point. I'm just going to have to try and keep him happy, but hopefully that bit arrives. I, that, that, 
what Mark said before does concern me about what Newcastle might do in January because that is that is my concern. They've done this sort of thing before where they think, right, we'll wait until the summer. And I understand the logic and wait until the summer. I understand it's easier to do business. I understand it's cheaper. But Newcastle consistently, consistently don't strengthen from a position of relative strength. I'm not saying they're massive. But, but if they're getting to January, they've got mid-20 points. They can actually start thinking going forward. They can think, right, we sell Dwight Gale. We're after this forward. We've been looking at them for a while. It may cost us a few extra million now, but we can give them a six-month bedding-in period whereby it's not like Joe Linton coming in the summer when we're going to start the season in a relegation battle. Hopefully, he's got six months to acclimatise. That's what they should be thinking. That's what I hope they're, they're going to be thinking. But I do have that concern that they're just going to think we'll, we'll, we'll labour through until the end of the season. Chris mentioned there the change of formation it would take to accommodate Gale. You, you nodded your head in agreement. Mm. It would be a massive shift because you lose... Pro- I mean, you'd have to probably switch to a number 10 with Gale running off the number 10. Um, I mean, that is a huge switch if Bruce wants to maybe... Because we're, pro- we're probably at the point now where you see Adrian Linton's not getting the goals, so what is plan B for Bruce? And it probably is Gale, but to get the best out of Gale, you need to change your formation. Yeah, and but that but that but that's the whole point of having a plan B, is that you, your plan B would be a totally different way of setting up. And I think that... To be fair to Steve Bruce, and I think I think he's he got a lot of stick about tactically his tactical acumen, but I think that's that was a little bit unfair because remember at the start of the season at Norwich he tried something different at Leicester he tried something different, and the reason he basically hasn't tried anything different since is because of how those two games went. Um, but it's a question of whether without some maximum you you could maybe look at. I mean, Gale Gale feeds Gale's best when the, there's balls played, kind of to him you know with a bit of pace because he has got a bit of pace and he's, he's really good at latching onto balls I mean I don't think that the season that Dwight Gale did really well for, for Newcastle I'm not sure he enjoyed it that much because he didn't see a lot of the ball his kind of way of playing was the way that West Brom played last last season which was a similar way getting the balls into him but actually giving him opportunities um, you know setting up a team that was going to get give him chances as well and I, I think my my one thing at the moment that, that Newcastle don't have as well is they don't have a lot of creativity in midfield, central midfield at the moment. You know, Sean Longstaff, I think, is struggling this season. Isaac Hayden is not a, a creative midfielder from, from that from that perspective. They've got Key, who would probably be the one that you would say would be the best fit. Shelby, obviously, they've got as well, who, who did work really well with Gale, obviously didn't play on Saturday. But they could do it. Um, it's just, will Steve Bruce gamble, knowing that the last two times he's gambled, it's been... Um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, a disaster. I was going to say, I mean, Chris, how much did Newcastle miss then? I mean, we know the talents of St. Max and Balmain obviously comes in for a lot of criticism, but just how much did, did Newcastle miss him? Well, what they really missed from the two of them was the ability to, to travel with the ball up the pitch. Joe Linton had one or two runs. There was one in the second half where he managed to get forward, gave it to Willems, who was, I think he was fouled and the ref didn't give it. Um, so apart from that, they, they didn't really carry the ball up the field. It was very much trying to go along towards Carroll. Um, and what what was frustrating in that sense was that I didn't think that Joe Linton and Atsu got in and around Carroll enough. We saw Sheffield United when Carroll flicked a ball on and Almiron didn't follow it in the box that Carroll berated him. And it was a similar sort of... There wasn't that... They didn't feel that connection between them. Joe Linton tried to get beyond them a couple of times, but not really when Newcastle actually win the ball. So so without those two out wide, it was there wasn't there wasn't a second game plan. 
Burnley knew exactly what was what was coming, and between Ben May and Tarkovsky, who Carroll gave a torrid time to, including uh, the the elbow, which I'm sure we'll get into at some stage. Um, I, I thought that that Carroll did reasonably well against them, but there just wasn't that energy that those two would bring. There wasn't that ability to really carry the ball, and that's that's what Newcastle lack without the two of them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki dealership group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. Well, we're going to talk about the referee next, but that kind of runs into that Carol elbow. Uh, Sean Dyche was not impressed. I mean, we've all seen it back on match of the day. Was it? Was Carol lucky to remain on the pitch for that? I hate to, to use a terrible cliche, but you've seen them kind of given against him. But I, I, I think it, you know, you, for me, referees should ref the game that they're involved in rather than uh, as an abstract. And in the game that he's involved in, there's a lot of that stuff going on. So I, I don't think it is a red card in that in that context. If you see it out of context and it's not that kind of game, I think he probably would have gone. But the ref on that occasion, I think, probably judged it by the standards of what he was seeing in front of him. So, fair enough. And VAR didn't intervene. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. Um, I think it was fair enough. Um, Sean Dyche can say that, but fighting fire with fire, isn't it? Like, his players, they knew all of them knew it was going to be a battle. I mean, you know, I read Lee Ryder's piece on Saturday night. I mean, I edited it and put it up, and he said... There was a mood amongst the players, and Chris was there, so probably I'm telling you, there was a mood amongst the players where they were a bit like, right, we'll see you at St James's Park at the end of February. They were pretty annoyed at the way that the way that the game went. It was a battle. Um, Newcastle can knuckle down and do that, but they just out, got out Burnley by Burnley. Uh, but I don't think it was a red card in the context of the game, but maybe in another game it would have been. Interestingly, and not much has been made, there's actually the Newcastle player I thought was luckiest to stay on the pitch was Joe Linton because there was two incidents with, I think it was Tarkovsky, where he, he, it wasn't deliberate, I don't think, but two reckless times within the space of two or three minutes where he basically stood on Tarkovsky's foot and he got a yellow card for one, I think. I think I think he got booked for them, but he wasn't red card. And the Burnley fans were apoplectic about it. And actually, it didn't really get picked up on elsewhere. It's there seemed quite innocuous, but both of them were reckless. The the, the Carroll's one I think was the same. I don't think there was any intent there. But at the same time, if you're leading with the elbow, you catch someone in the face like that. There is the chance that that you could get red carded. But as Mark said, it was that sort of game. It was niggly all afternoon. There was handbags during the second half. Uh, at one stage where all the players ran in there was a VAR check for a red card we're still not entirely sure who was involved and I think it was Hayden and someone else but it was to do within that nothing came of it but it was just a, it was it was just a one of those afternoons where it was both sides were a bit fiery but I don't I don't think I don't think it too far stepped over the line Steve Bruce criticism of the referee for the, the corner which I mean on replays was, was certainly corner uh, Steve Bruce thinks it was a foul What's your what's your judgment? I mean, I mean to be fair, Steve Bruce then does say we should have dealt with a corner better. Yeah, but he do, he does that in a sort of way that managers do, where they're like it's a secondary. Whereas for me, that should be the primary. I, look, the referee I thought struggled, but I thought he struggled for both teams. I thought there was some, as I say, the Joe Litton decisions, the Carroll decisions. Burnley would feel aggrieved about that. Sean Dyche came out. I thought it was a. I thought he you could see it was it was his first Premier League game and it was a strange one I agreed with Bruce on that it was a strange one to give someone as a, as a first game two teams who 
Uh, it was it was always likely to be a match like that, so it was always going to be a difficult match to referee. And I thought he did look out of his depth at times, but I don't think that was the reason that Newcastle lost the match. Well, I guess the one thing that, that does stand out, you can talk about the referee decisions, the lack of uh, Almiron and St. Maximum, but it's the lack of threat from... You know, from the likes of Carl and Joe. I mean, Carl had a, a header. Obviously, Gale put one wide, but the shots on target. It, it, it's you know, you can see, oh, it's only a stat, but it's a, it's an important yeah. one. Yeah, and 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 Carroll has done his best work in his own penalty in his own half, I think, since he's come back. Really, there was a brilliant cross for for Shelby, uh, but you know, and and he is a player who carries re, you know real threat. But Newcastle just aren't set up to create at the moment, and 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 that is a major major problem. You know that they're, they're actually. I think I read something saying that their ex their, their ex expected goals, which is you know a stat that uh, is used quite a lot. They're, they're outperforming that by a, a huge huge margin. So they're actually you know that they're actually proving quite ruthless in front of goal. But if you're not creating at all, it, it's it's a problem. And you know they've and and let's not get away from the fact that they've spent. A lot of money on that front three, you know, a lot of money. Carroll's come cheap because he's at the uh, other end of his career, but they spent forty million on Jalinton. They spent nearly twenty odd on Almiron, um, and you know, and some Maximum's twenty million as well. So there's eighty million pounds virtually gone into that. There won't be too many strike forces in the bottom half of the table that they've spent that people have spent that much money on. So while I know, you know, Lee Charney was sounding a positive note last season. They should be concerned about about this because they're going to need to spend another big chunk of money, and they haven't got that much. You know, if you're looking at, I think we've we've, we've said a few times they're looking to to sign one or two players every summer now with with the fifty million that they've got because they they believe they've got a decent foundation, and then on top of that, it's sales. Well, I think they're going to need to sign another striker in the summer because I don't think that Jalinton. I think he's going to be a long-term project. It's it's moved from being an instant hit now to a longer-term project. They won't give up on him, but it's not going to happen for him in the next few weeks, is it? And it's going to be, you know, bringing him in and out of the team and maybe getting somebody. So for me, that that is the biggest issue. Is I don't see masses of room for improvement in the three that they've got there, Carroll. I could potentially see going on a bit of a run, but is he going to be fit enough? Is he going to is he going to is he going to be fit enough to play every week? I, I don't think so. They didn't they didn't think he was going to be fit enough to play every week. So it is an issue. It really is an issue, and it's been it's been sort of they've papered over the cracks a little bit because Shelby's playing so well. But take him out, take some maximum out, and I don't see where the threat's but coming from. You mentioned there in the summer. Now many fans would say, well, actually, if we get to the first of January. And- Carroll still hasn't scored, Jolinton's still only got the one, or even, you see if he gets another one through that Christmas period, still not enough, and you know, can you rely on your defenders to get you the goals, you know, that's not how you win games, is it, you know, you're going to need a goal-scoring striker, and yesterday proved that it's not there in abundance, so does that force Newcastle's hand? Why have they got the money? The, the, the big question is, I think the, there's some money left over, isn't there, from January, from, from the summer, there's a little bit left over, um, but I don't think to make it. You could go out and sign um, a ten million pound or an eight million pound striker, but is that going to be any better than what you've got now? Bearing in mind they're going to be playing in the system that they're playing in. So, you know, and and knowing how Newcastle work under Lee Chong, they've got very much an mo that they that they work to. 
that I can't see. I can see them bringing in one or two lone players. I could maybe see them doing something with Dwight Gale. Maybe I can see things happening in January. But if anybody's looking for a big signing like Almir on last January, or the two seasons or three seasons ago now, where they or four seasons I think it is, where they did all that business with Andros Townsend, I just can't see it because that's not what they've what they're going to do. They're going to if they do do that, I think the money will come from the budget in the summer so that will mean less money in the summer but I just don't think that they're thinking that way at all I think they'll try and do a little bargain here or there maybe a loan um, but a, a big signing that's going to make a big difference to that front front. I can't see it I, I may be proved wrong but it's, I, I mean the, the position in the league is quite interesting we've mentioned it kind of briefly that you know you have a couple of wins from breaking that top 10 but you have a couple of of defeats from getting sucked back into the to the mire, and, and Lee Charnley hinted when he spoke to to Lee Ryder that if we're in a, a decent enough position, then we might bring things forward. But then, if you're even in a bad position, to see Bruce knock on the door and say, "Right, we need to do something here," and they turn around and go, "Well, look, we can't guarantee Premier League football, so do we want to be lumbered with a you know a fifteen million pound signing?" It's a it's a very good point. I mean. Actually, when Newcastle have tended to, to bring forward investment in the past, or in the recent past, back to that townsend Shelby window, was when they were really concerned about staying in the Premier League. And so, if it gets to that point, I just don't see between now and the end of January, even if Newcastle were to lose every single game, they're probably only just going to be in the relegation zone, because I don't see the teams below them picking up too many points. So... I don't think it's likely to get to that stage whereby Newcastle are going to be forced into action in that sense. Bruce may well go and say, "Look, I think I need this," and they, and they may they may listen to him, they may come to a compromise. But I I don't. It's not going to be how it was back in twenty fifteen sixteen because Newcastle aren't in that weaker position. They already have twenty two points. They're in theory five wins away from survival already. So I just don't think I don't think that's likely. I th- I, th- I think the the, the opposite. May be true, but I think if they get, to, I think if they were to win three of the next five games, I just don't see Newcastle bringing that investment forward unless a real opportunity presents itself next month. I just don't see that being likely. How many teams in the Premier League will do it? Seriously, yeah, I, I think the, I think Watford will probably try and throw a bit of money at it. Um, judging by what they said, I think I saw um, Southampton mentioned as a team that might, um, but you know, <clears throat> how many players signed in January um, have made a difference in the last few years? Not a lot. There's not a lot of difference. I think one or two players. Newcastle actually probably been the team that have benefited from it the most with Kennedy um, and um, Almiron um, last season because he did make a difference and he when he came when he came in last last season. But um, you know, knowing, I think the Premier League clubs now just look at it and think we'll take it. We'll take a look. That the, the one thing that you you might say is that loan markets I think a real opportunity for Newcastle and they will look at it because they could bring in a player maybe from overseas they've, they've done well with the loan market in the past and I think they deliberately left that you know deliberately left that, that open I, And <clears throat> but the problem they'll have is if they sign players um, now it will take money away from the next window and we've seen what the, the implication that that's had in the past it's made everybody unhappy because the season they did it when they signed all those the players from France then in the following summer there was a lot of rancour and unhappiness that didn't sign players then when they had opportunities and other teams improved um, they did it when they did it in 2015-2016 then went down and then signed a load of players in the championship that is why you had the two seasons of austerity when they got back into the Premier League because 
we all know how Newcastle operate now, and I know the, the listeners will probably be un, unhappy at a lot of the ways that they do operate, but I don't think you can say that if they're, they're open about the way that they, they recruit, it, it was, you know, Benitez wasn't happy with it, but they were pretty honest with everybody that, look, we've got to... We've got to cover the loss that we made when we went down in the in the uh, from the Premier League, and the key was, they said we'll do two seasons, try and stay up, and then we'll have money to spend. Of course, the problem came with how to spend it, and that's why Rafa's no longer here, and that's why we're in the situation we're in. But it, the one thing is that Bruce has signed up for this, and he knows it, so he's not going. You know, you say he could knock on the door and say I need this, but they, you know, they, they'll turn around, and I don't think he will do that because he's not a disruptive. You know, and he, people listen to this will say, "Well, he's a yes man," and I'd say, "Well, no, he, he signed up to it. He knew what it was." And unlike Rafa, I don't think he'll push. He'll push, push, push as Rafa did, because you know, Rafa did it and he got a little bit of what he wanted, Rondon and Almiron. But in the end, did it cause more problems? Well, the whole everybody was just upset with everybody else by the end. So maybe he'll look at it and think, you know, can, can I raise the money to get to get a loan player? Xhaka was the one that everybody was talking about the other week, wasn't he? I think that's not going to happen now. I, I never thought it was a good No, I there was interest and it was genuine, but it, it was never it a was one Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is the old school English manager of. There's a bit of wheeler dealer in him, and he'll say, he'll, you know, briefed it. I'm not sure it would, whether it was him briefing or not, but somebody was briefing saying, oh, Xhaka, Xhaka. <laughs> to me, it always felt a bit like. I remember Alan Pardew telling us when he first came in, we're in the market for those loan signings and he's mentioned Thierry Henry, David Beckham um, and who was the other one? He mentioned the two of them and then somebody else and it was just like, and the, I think the hierarchy would have just gone, okay, Alan, you, you keep saying that, mate, but that will never, ever happen and uh, sure enough, he never signed, did he? And it was Chef Kikuchi came in at the end and Andy Carroll got similar, sold. Similar. So as long as they don't, you know, as long as they don't, don't do something like that. But January's going to be an interesting one. It'll be little bits and pieces here and there I think and and they're going to have to find a way with the with what they've got to pl- to do it better and that's where your coach comes into it and that's where their big call to bring Steve Bruce in Steve Bruce backs himself they back Steve Bruce go and prove it just Rafa would have Rafa would have probably sorted it out so it's the different thing isn't it yeah you know, they've got to sort it out this is where Steve Bruce earns his money just to wrap up then it seems like we're continuously saying that we'll know more about Newcastle when they face this team or this team and always the teams around them. What did Burnley tell you about Newcastle? Because they're a team around them. Did it? From my view, it looked like it kind of indicates obviously the home form is the important one. You know, Newcastle are going so well at home that not that the way games don't matter, but you know, right, we'll move on from this bad performance. We'll go against Palace and we'll go for three points there because we're at home, front of the crowd. Is that? Fair. It's 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 all fair. I mean, the one asterisk I put before about Burnley before I say anything is the injuries to to the to the key players. I think that is an asterisk which you bring into. But what Burnley says to me, and this is, and I know this is partly the social media age, and this is what all fans of all clubs do. But there's so many highs and so many lows at the moment, and the reality is that any of the last five games Newcastle could have lost. They could have won. They could have lost. They're 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 such fine margins with this side, and their road they look. At Sheffield United first half that probably should have been two or three goals down against Southampton for 45 minutes at least probably an hour they really struggled but they've got a sort of resilience and grit about them that they are hanging on in at the moment and the, the margins went for them in the week where they picked up seven points 
the margins went against them at Burnley. I think a draw probably would have been a fair result, but in the end, one set piece they switched off from and they conceded from it. So I think that what we see is that this Newcastle side, are, they are going to win some of these games, they're going to lose some. They are, they are inconsistent because they do lack quality in certain areas, but they're defensively solid to a large degree. They've got that platform and they're going to shade the odd game, they're going to lose the odd game, most of them by the odd goal. Um, yeah, I think I think what we learned was that if Newcastle United aren't on their game, hundred percent, they have their best players not fit, then they are a team that will struggle in the Premier League. You know, and I think that's a lesson that we have to take forward to some really crucial games coming up. They've got, you know, they've they've got um, in the second half of the season some really important games at home, Norwich at home. Um, and those are the games where they have to target. I mean, Rafa did that really well last season to keep them up. Was they targeted the games in the second half of the season where they needed to win. They always won those games, and and that and that's the key. I, I don't think there was any complacency, to be fair, from Steve Bruce about how things were going, or to be fair, Lee Charnley either. Um, it wasn't a triumphalist interview. I don't think last week. To be fair to them, they are very aware of the fact that they have got a long, long way to go. Um, you know, the, the season ticket thing is an acknowledgement of how broken the bond is for for many with with this with this club at the moment um and and you know they've they've done well in securing amount the amount of points they have but on the pitch they are they've got a losing run in them and i think that's what we kind of learned at burnley is that burnley aren't a great team um but there's nothing between you know, I think you asked us at the live event, where do you think Newcastle are going to finish? And and in reality, they could finish anywhere between about 8th and 20th this season. Genuinely, they could finish anywhere. I don't think they'll finish 20th because Watford are, Watford are rubbish. But but re- but relegation is is not out of the question still. You know, they have to be on their toes for it. The seven points, yes, but that could get eaten, eaten into because, um, you know, as you saw, Nor- uh, there's teams down there, I think, that, that Everton are going to get out of it. West Ham are going to get out of it um, because they've got too much quality. So Newcastle just need to be aware of that. They need to be really aware of it that Saturday is a humongous game, I think, in a lot of ways because they need to get back on it. They need to get a point. They need to get a point at least. Um, just keep ticking along. Um, so I, I, did we learn anything really? Probably not because I think we all expected before the game it would be low scoring by margins it's going to be like that all season we know this team really well and the, the key challenge is just to stay up I think finish as strong as they can hopefully have a bit of a cut run they've got a decent draw there you know avoid the banana skin there Get try and get into the last stages of that um, just stay out of trouble and then move on to the summer when they when they can build with a little bit more freedom than they did last summer and that's the, the, plat, the, the, the path into a, a more productive and more positive Newcastle United I think but um, uh, there's there's a lot of obstacles along the way and I think you know a tough Christmas period is one of them most certainly Chris thank you very much for joining us no problem you can head over to wherever you get your podcast from to listen to our live event part one is up now part two will be going up later this week and um, this has been everything is black and white podcast <laughs>